podcast that discusses storytelling from all angles to help you and us answer the call when the muse screams, tell the damn story. We'll be exploring the challenges of being creative in fiction, illustration, comics, film, and nonfiction. Okay, so, hey, uh, folks, I, I got to say, here we are. It's, it's, it's tell the damn story. I'm not even sure. I think it's episode 227. So that's how long we've been doing it. Yes. And um, my co-host, Chris Ryan, I, I'm sneaking out on him here. I'm sneaking out on him. Chris went out of town. He's at StokerCon as a, a guest uh, writer there. Uh, he's got some stuff that's come out. You, If you've been following the show, you know how well he's been doing. You know he's been pumping that stuff out there. But I had a chance. I had a chance to interview a good buddy, a guy I've known for like 100 years, give or take a day or two. Uh, Mr. Uh, Miss, I ain't gonna call you Mr. My buddy, uh, co, uh, just a, a, a wonderful writer of comics, graphic novels, and as a journalist too, and everything. Mr. Bo Smith, brother Bo, how are you? I'm doing great, Alex. And like I've got to say, it's it's good to see you. I mean, yeah. we've known each other probably. I've I've been doing this 35 years, and I've know you. We've known each other at least 30 of those yep. years, easy. Yep, yep absolutely. And, and by the way, folks, if you're wondering why do I look weird like this, I'm on my tablet as opposed to the uh, my laptop because my laptop is is putting in for retirement. And, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's gone. I don't feel like it. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not up to it tonight. So I'm doing it on the tablet because I wasn't going to miss a chance to talk with, with Bo here. You're right, Bo. We've known each other for 30 some odd years. But how long has it been since we've spoken to each other? Um. I think we we have spoke on the phone a couple times, but it's probably been a good oh, it's probably been ten years since we've seen each other in person. Yep. And you know, in these modern times, I, that's kind of not unusual. But you know, the, the the best part about comic books, and I'll just put it that way, is that we all pick up right back where we started the last time we saw each other, and that comic books has always been the common bond between me a stump jumper from west virginia in a small town with all these people these wonderful people from all around the world from different walks of life for me and comics has always been that common bond that's bang we're instant family always have been always will be and that i will always be blessed and grateful for when it comes to comic books you know, it's funny. Um, again, I've known Bo for, as he said, about 30 years. I feel like it's, you know, give or take, you know, a day or two in there, really. But it's been <laughs> it's been that long. Yeah. And one of the blessings of knowing, and this is not like we're now going to start singing Kumbaya, but he has <laughs> been the same good soul all of those years. You know, you're and you've had some wonderful successes, which we're going to talk about. But you, you, you've always been this centered as you said, a stump jumper. <laughs> you know, you've always been the centered good guy, the centered gentleman, the centered easygoing, easy to talk to kind of guy. And um, it's just a joy to, again, after, like you said, it's been a few years since we've spoken, yeah. to, to just have that vibe. Like you said, it's right, it's right there. It's like we saw each other last week. <laughs> yep, that's for sure. So, you know, I, I need to do my, 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 my responsibility as a host of a show and understand that there may be, in the vast gazillions of people on the planet, there may be two or three people who don't know about you. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just one or yeah, maybe two or three. They so, are very lucky. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, Bo, you're from where? West Virginia, born and raised in Huntington, West Virginia, and for the last 35 Five years live in Cerrito, West Virginia, which is a town of fourteen hundred people. Fourteen! Wow, the big one four zero zero. They do not deliver the mail to your house. You have to go to the post office to pick it up. So it's it's a wonderful, clean, safe little town. It's probably about five miles from my hometown, which was a college town of about fifty-five thousand. So. Um, yeah, it, this, this is West Virginia, born and raised. You like where you live. That, that, yes. that comes across. And, and um, I'm going to backtrack into how you got into it. But one of the things that you're known for is uh, your work in the comic book field. You have written 
uh, uh, what Green Green Lantern, which is a Guy Gardner uh, uh, troupe, right? He's written for Eclipse Comics. He's written for DC Comics. Uh, I think there's a number of other companies that you you. I have in 35 years, Alex. I've worked for every, and I don't mean this in a derogatory term. Every minor to major comic book publisher that there is. Uh, I've been very fortunate, but the thing that got me, the way that I got into comics. Mm. The way that I got known at the beginning before I was ever ever got a paycheck from anybody was as a what they used to call a letter hack. I wrote letters into the comic books ah. and every what I would do is every week. Let's say I'm going to make up a number. I bought 10 comics a week. I would sit down and after I read each comic, I would write a letter of comment to the editors of that comic and um, tell them what I thought about it. So. I signed my full name, which is Stephen Scott Bo Smith. And I did that all the way through, uh, which, you know, I guess that was a bit of marketing. Then I was setting myself apart from Joe Doe, who just wrote that in. So I always tried to make my letters funny, uh, constructive criticism and, and the truth. So that's how I actually got in. I had probably over close to 300 letters printed in all kinds of various comics. So. That's how I started. Wow. So the editors got to know my name. So the first convention I went to was probably about 1983 in Chicago Con. And I met a couple of the editors from DC. And one of them went, you're the guy with four names. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we built up a report. <laughs> and, you know, he, he did mention that he goes, your accent's a little more uh, prevalent in person than it is in your letters. So... <laughs> We, we built up a report, and after a while, they started sending me advanced Xerox copies of the comics going, we want to put a letter column in this very first issue. Would you mind reading this over and sending one? So I did. And, and then after a while, a couple of them go, did you ever think about, you know, submitting a story idea? And I said, yeah, sure. I'd, you know, I'd love to. And it was about that same time and at Chicago Con that I'd met Tim Truman. Uh, who oh, you know, has done yeah. Scout, Scout. Yeah. World, uh, all uh, Grimjack, and first time I met him, we kind of noticed we we talked alike, we sounded alike. Ends up he's from uh, uh, West Virginia, born and raised. So we hit it off, and Alex, believe it or not, it was a weird story. From there, he knew that I was in um, marketing, and my real day job was marketing, mm -hmm. and. Eclipse Comics lost their sales manager. Uh, he left. That was Jim Friel, good guy. And Tim goes, hey, would you be interested in, you know, you, you know comic books and you know marketing. They're looking for somebody to be a sales manager, uh, a marketing guy. Would you be interested in that? And I said, yeah, as long as I don't have to move to California. And back then we didn't have fax, nothing. It was phone. So Dean Mullaney, I met Dean at um, the ABA, the American Booksellers Association. And they were having was what, the publisher? Yes, Dean and Cat Ironwood and Jan Mullaney were the publishers of uh, Eclipse Comics. He was going to be there at the ABA. So was Tim Truman. So was Chuck Dixon, who did work for them. So I went to Washington and met him there. And <laughs> we, we, we hit it off. And Dean told me, I mean, I was there for the weekend. He goes, see that booth over there? That's Diamond Distribution. They're our biggest distributor of comics. He goes, they don't like us. <laughs> he goes, uh, take these advanced copies. If you can get the, these guys to read this, he goes, then we'll talk about you having the job. So I went over there and it was Steve Jeppe. It was Bill Shanus. It was the, you know, the guys that mm -hmm. I have now known for 35 years. It worked and ended up, long story short, Dean hired me. I was able to work long distance by phone and with all the distributors, which then we had 27 of them. Mm. And uh, a couple few times a year, I would go out there to Santa Rosa where Eclipse Comics was and stay for a week and get to know everybody and do things. But I did it without the, you know, the modern conveniences of technology, just by phone. And um it worked. And I got to be honest with you, Alex, that by doing things with phone and building up that rapport with people mm -hmm. sealed the deal. Cause when I would go to conventions, it was just like you and I talked earlier, 
we already knew each other. Yeah. We were like, we were like brothers in arms. So yes, I was the VP of marketing for Eclipse Comics from there in 93, I became the VP of marketing for Todd McFarlane Productions, McFarlane Toys, and, that's, and that's Image Spawn Comics. And, and, yes. and yeah, whatever his other all properties Spawn. were. And then it was all of Image Comics as well. So I did that Jeez. until 2000. And at that point, Todd, uh, it, most everybody at Image started doing their separate things. And Todd wanted to bring everybody into Phoenix. Again, I did not want to move from West Virginia. So it was my time to depart. And he he made it really hard to <laughs> depart. Let me tell you, he was, you know, he's a, a scholar and a gentleman above everything else and takes very good care of his people. But the next day, I went to work for IDW Publishing, which was Ted Adams, who I started work with at Eclipse Comics. He went on to Dark Horse and um, uh, Wildstorm. But then I worked there probably six years and then worked for June Planning, a Japanese toy company. But I've always written comics. And Tim Truman gave me the opportunity to write my first comics, which was Dogs of Danger starring Bo LaDuke, real man. And that was in the back of Scout Comics, which I thought this is going to be the only chance I'm going to ever have to write comics. So I put myself in there as the character, my family, every friend, my insurance agent was the bad guy. I put everybody, I said, I'm going to have this and then they're going to take it away, but at least I'll have it. But they didn't. I haven't been out tossed out of the party yet. So <laughs> Tim Truman gave me my opportunity to write my first comics. So uh, Tim Truman, Dean Mullaney, uh, and the editors that read all those crazy letters of mine was how I got in. And that's this is somebody from a small town in West Virginia. I did not live in New York where most everybody did at that time. Well, you know, New York was a happening place, but now the world's a little bit larger and people are working from all over the place. Uh, I'm curious, was writing something that you were always interested in or you, you did on the side as a hobby or curiosity? I mean, where did that come from? I can remember it like it was yesterday. It was in the fourth grade. Uh, our teacher asked, just what do they do in class? What do you want to do when you, you know, become an adult and everybody else was at that time, uh, 1964, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a teacher, fireman. I said, I want to write comic books. And they looked at me like I had four heads and, <laughs> you know, kind of, well, now won't you do newspaper? Won't you do magazine? I said, no, I want to make stuff up. And that I got to be honest with you, Alex, I've wanted to do it ever since I've always known that's what I wanted to do. And I'm not comparing myself with say Michael Jordan from the first time he picked up a basketball, he knew what he wanted to do. The first time I saw a comic book, which was Batman 143, oh, I knew you know what the I number. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, I've still got it. And I knew what I wanted to do and I wanted to do it really bad. Uh, and I was constantly making up stories when I should have been doing my arithmetic in school. I would write stories about Wyatt Earp and his brothers fighting the universal monsters. Oh, Frankenstein, we're going to come back to yeah. that. Yeah, we're going to definitely come back to that. <laughs> so those were the kind of things that I was I was doing. I was not a a top student in school. And I can tell you, it was all because I was not interested in arithmetic or whatever. I was daydreaming. I was always making things up. I, I lived in that uh, that world of creativity and it was hard to. Uh, it was hard to get out sometimes. Yeah, and, and, and I'm sure that you, uh, like many, have, have heard that remark during Parents' Teachers' Day. If he would only apply himself, or he's always daydreaming, or he's always off in his own world. Yeah, many of us have, have, have heard that. And I, I wonder sometimes if we could band together all the teachers who said that to us <laughs> and have them look at where we've been, you know, where we are now, where we've been, and what, what do they would say at that point, you know? You know. Um, You're 100% right. Yeah, some of the characters that you've worked on, and again, I do want to come back to that Wired Earp reference, but I want to hold sure. that for a moment. Some of the characters you've worked on have been in the mainstream. And, and I, I want to talk about Guy Gardner for a moment because, um, you know, Hal Jordan was the Green Lantern I grew up with, you know, and you and I are, are somewhat contemporaries. 
And of course, I know there was the Alan, you know, the um, the more magical Green Lantern from the 40s. But Hal Jordan was it. And when they started introducing these sort of alt Green Lanterns, uh, Guy was not my favorite guy. <laughs> you know, he just he just was. I I did like the fact that he was an arrogant son of a gun, and and you know, I'm sorry, I referred to him as a buffoon on a few occasions. Sure. Yeah, you know, but. You know, he was when he when he would do stuff and would be the you know, would act out, especially in that the, the the Justice League when he was a member of that. You know, it was it was great to see him sort of get straightened out every now and then. But also, you know, he was a rowdy kind of guy. He was a he was a very much a, a some aspects of him made me feel like he he would have been a bully in certain circumstances. And so I'm I'm curious, knowing you, knowing your personality, what. What allowed you to connect with that character? Because uh, I, I believe you didn't create the character, but you took over writing him for a period of time. Yeah, I did for two and a half years. I uh, came in on issue 20 of Guy Gardner when they, they wanted to do something new with it, and they were deconstructing the Green Lantern Corps at the time. Alex, my sentiments were similar to yours about how I felt about Guy Gardner that had come before it just, he was always at the crossroads. He could have taken this way or that way and become a bully pretty easy. Um, I always thought of it in my head as he wasn't so much a bully. He just didn't know how to socially express himself correctly. And you're right. He was a rowdy, you know, blue collar kind of guy. He just didn't know how to do it. Uh, and the part that turned me, the part guy was most famous for up until all that was the Batman one punch scene that happened in JLA, I believe, where a guy was yak, 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 and Batman just popped him. And that was it. And everybody, that's what they all knew. He was the bowl haircut, smart mouth guy that Batman punched out. And that was it. Part of me creatively said, they're not doing with that character what they can. So mm -hmm. when I, got the chance and the opportunity with DC to, to do the book. It, at issue 20, they were near cancellation because numbers then were about 40,000, which was, you know, cancellation numbers back then. Now you'd be dancing on a table. So they, DC was very editorially, very free-handed then. And especially with a book that they figured out we're going to cancel in five issues, let both kind of do what you want here. Well, my goal was my only goal in that was to make Guy Gardner likable because likability to me is a key to every character. I don't care if it's Superman or some character that someone's made up and it sells two copies. If you make that character likable, then there's an emotional investment, no matter mm. who reads it. Confrontations, whether they're with one street thug or a cosmic confrontation of invasion, don't mean a thing if you don't care about the character. And I've had films, television shows, and comic books that I've read where I just didn't care about the character. I said, well, you all can, you know, I don't care if he dies or not. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want that. So my goal was to take as long as I could and make him likable, which, again, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I was given the opportunity by issue, I'd say 30, about 10 issues in, our sales went up to 60, 65,000 which they go. thought were going to drop. So I gave him these, you know, Mitch Bird, who was the artist, and Dan Davis, who was the artist on the bulk of that. We gave him some goofy morphing powers. We gave him all these tattoos. He looked totally different. Of course, that's what they wanted. They wanted him to be tough. But my main thing was to make him likable. And I made him a conglomerate of, of likable heroes that I've seen in fiction through the years. And I got to be honest with you, being from West Virginia, talking with a hick accent and this, that, and the other, I always got stereotyped, you know, in a, a minor way of, you know, well, that guy's a, a, you know, he's not very smart. You hear the way he talks, you know. Oh, geez. And uh, to be honest with you, I've always used that to my advantage. So <laughs> if if they think you're dumb and, you know, you end up you're, you're not, well, that that's okay with me. Yeah. So uh, that was my goal with Guy Gardner. And I really believe and DC let me I'd say, can I have 
the character Wildcat. What are you doing with him? Can I have Lady Blackhawk? Yeah, nobody's used that. It hasn't been used in years. I started using all these side characters, you know, that they weren't using because I wanted to do the same with them. I wanted to give them uh, a home. So it mm -hmm. was like Land of the Misfit Toys of DC. Mm -hmm. I wanted to give them all home out of respect because those are the characters. As a kid, I grew up, I loved. I loved Boana Beast. I loved the Metal Men. Uh, Tiger Man from My Greatest Adventures. I mean, he was a very minor character, but I ended up making him somebody in here. Lady Blackhawk brought her back. And it was it was all likability. And they, God bless DC in the, in the aspect that they, when things were wrapping up, sales were okay, but they knew they were going to cancel. The last one was going to be issue 44. They gave me five issues. You know, hey, Bo, we're going to, probably cancel this at 44 if you'd like to wrap this up right and they gave me the privilege of being able to not leave the series on dangling like that exactly yeah. yeah and i will always be grateful to them for that and uh i got to do that i was two and a half years i had a very very good time with dc comics which along with marvel the major characters major i mean i got wonder woman superman and batman to give guy respect in the issues and they let me borrow those characters to do that and mm -hmm. to me that was the vetting of that character fictionally and then the readers were able to vet and and give that to guy with the respect that that i wanted to from issue 20 i'm sorry now, I, I got diarrhea of the mouth when i start talking it, I apologize. You know, it, it, it's your interview captain don't don't sweat it, <laughs> don't sweat it. um i wanted to to ask you a couple things um you, you mentioned, well, actually, first, you said something that, I, I, that Chris and I talk about quite often, about character, about the importance of character, uh, about importance of making characters engaging and compelling. Uh, because again, you know, comics or films, people like the pretty pictures, but if they're not connected to the characters, then that's it, it's a waste of time. And so I noticed that one of the things you said was that you wanted to make Guy, your, your motive was not to just have you know, blazing cosmic adventures with the character, but to make this character a likable, engaging character that the readers would then connect to. So that's that's important. And I and I know that you you also commented about how sometimes you know people sort of took Guy in in what is his sort of their their assumption persona of him, and you were able to equate that a little bit to how people react to you when they hear your accent. So again, sometimes we talk about how we can endow aspects of ourselves or other people into the characters that we write in order to make them more relatable. So that's that's great. I'm glad to hear you know that that's that's a direction that you explored with this material. It 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 was again a perfect storm in the fact that DC was a lot more free then because they were not owned corporately as big as they are now. Uh, there weren't as many rules. Uh, the book was near cancellation. So all these things made it perfect for me to have the freedom mm -hmm. to be able to do that kind of now, stuff. Now, just out of curiosity, <clears throat> what did you do for Marvel? Um, believe it or not, the, the only thing that I have ever done, up until recently, the only thing that I'd ever done for Marvel was the Wolverine She, which is Billy Tucci's creation, mm -hmm. crossover. It was one issue. I wrote it, Billy drew it, and that was the only thing for Marvel I'd ever done until recently. And now they are collecting in trade paperbacks. They already have my Boba Fett Star Wars story that I did for Dark Horse, but now Marvel is publishing that. And my Aliens story that Dark Horse did with Gray Morrow that they're now publishing. Oh, great. So wow. I can say I officially have a Marvel paycheck. <laughs> that was, you know, and that's the weirdest thing. The biggest company, it was the only one that I hadn't worked for in 30 some years. And that was the last uh, uh, box to check as far as that goes. I, so. I got my, my check off box with, with Marvel when I got to work with Jesse Holland and 16 other writers on the Black Panther anthology that came out last year. So up until then I had DC credits and Archie credits and 
a couple of uh, independent credits, but I didn't have a, a Marvel Comics credit. Now I do. Yeah, so we can we can go we can go throw back one on that one. <laughs> exactly, because you and I both again, as you said, our contemporaries. We came from the age where Marvel and DC in the '60s was that, and to be able to check that box off yep. after all these years, our 12-year-old selves get to <laughs> smile. You know. Yeah, it's, it's much like when I was working for DC and I got to do Scooby-Doo yeah. and I'm writing the comics and I'm thinking about what it was like Saturday mornings as a kid watching the show. <laughs> it's like, I get to add to the canon. Wow. You know? Yes, 100%. Get to geek I, out like that, you know, and it's, it's a pleasure. It's, it's a real yes. pleasure. I, I often say that the kid in me has never died. The kid in me is the one that comes up with the wacky ideas and then it's the <laughs> adult that has to figure out how to pull them off. Yeah, so that's a that's a good way of putting it, and it's a great combination of two parts of your life, you know. Yeah. Now, I I don't want to let this slip again because we'll we'll get onto rolling on a bunch of other things and not get back to this. You worked for Eclipse. You worked for DC. You you, you were a journalist before that, and 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 you've worked now independently with them. But at one point, you said something about Wyatt Earp. And then I have to immediately make the connection to a character that that you did create that you wrote for Eclipse, was it? Or no. IDW? It was um, uh, actually Image Comics, Wildstorm Studios. Okay. And Jim Lee's studio. Winona Earp. Winona Earp, yes. And that she, well, the idea came, like I said, in elementary when I had Wyatt Earp and his brothers fight the universal monsters because those Westerns and monsters were my favorite things. Mm -hmm. But as the years went by and I did get into comics, that was something I never wanted. I never let go of. And I always wanted to do, but I had to find a way to modernize it and make it fit in what was going on in comics. Now, um, uh, the, the gender part, I changed it from either, you know, wider or a male character I wanted it to be a descendant of Wyatt Earp because I wanted it to happen now. Wasn't any big thought thing. I just said, Wyatt Earp, why, why Nona? It just was like that. Okay, Ding. I'm going to make it the great, great granddaughter um, of his. So it wasn't a, a real, you know, think It was a political decision or something like that. No, no, no. no. It yeah. was just, bang, that happened. And my original thought of her being a U.S. Marshal, okay, I changed that to she's a member of the covert branch of the U.S. Marshals called the Black Badge Division. Instead of hunting regular criminals, putting regular criminals in witness pr protection program, everything the U.S. Marshals do, she does, only it's against um, supernatural organized crime. So if the werewolves, the werewolf nation and the vampire nation are doing uh, illegal casinos or prostitution or robbing banks, same thing. She goes after them. If she has to put uh, an Egyptian mummy in witness protection, then she does. I'm just using broad yeah. strokes, but she does everything that a regular U.S. Marshal does, only with my chance, thinly veiled universal monster type things. So just, I'm sorry, just for people who, who may or may not know the universal monster reference, he's talking about Frankenstein, uh, Dracula, the mummy, you know, these are the invisible man. These were universal film characters from the past, from the forties in particular. So they're, they're just known, you know, very, very, very famous creatures of that, that time period. But anyway, so you were saying, thank you for explaining that because I, you know, I start talking comic book geek shorthand and <laughs> I get carried away, but yeah, yeah, that was, and I had the first issue published in 1996 at image comics, Wildstorm Studios and um, did a five issue series there. Uh, from there, it went to IDW where I published it, where it's still being published there. So it's been there for, oh gosh, since easily 2000. Mm. But along the way, Alex. 21 um, years. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Along the way, um, Winona Earp, the property, I was approached and it was optioned for television film by a young up-and-comer in Los Angeles at the time. This is, the book wasn't, uh, hadn't been out all that long. I was doing, still doing it at IDW, but 
um, uh, optioned it to him for 18 months. He was unable to do anything with it just because his clout in Los Angeles wasn't built up yet. Mm-hmm. And But, you know, hey, he tried stuff. Well, his name was Peter Lenkoff. And Peter Lenkoff is the showrunner of uh, Hawaii Five-0 now, uh, Magnum P.I., and mm-hmm. other big hit CBS shows. But, you know, of course, you know, many years have passed. You had to start somewhere, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, then, so we were optioned again. Winona Earp was optioned again, this time by Fox Television. And this is a few years later. And they optioned that, Fringe, and Dollhouse all at the same time. Three, what you'd call sci-fi-ish, comic bookish type films or properties. So Joss Whedon, J.J. Abrams, and Bo Smith all at the same time. Well... Abrams' show got made. Joss's show got made. Mine didn't quite make it because the ratings on theirs weren't exactly what they thought they were going to be. So they go, eh, we're not going to do a third one. So that option went uh-huh. back to me. Uh-huh. So by the time uh, Sci-Fi came around, Ted Adams, who was the founder of uh, IDW Publishing and CEO, who's believed in the book since he worked at Wildstorm back in 1996, he told me, he goes, this needs to be a television series. He's always told me that from day one. And I was always, you know, he's a friend. I was going, mm-hmm. ah, thanks. Thanks, Ted. I appreciate that. You know, it was, <laughs> it was great. But, you know, I was a little cynical about that. But it, he started calling me every week going, you know, they want to do this. They want to do that. They want to send you um, a spec script. They want to send you a wine or Bible and what they'd like to do with it. And I was going, oh, okay. All right. They sent it. I, I looked at him, Alex, and Bo Smith at 30 years old would have looked at it totally different. Bo Smith at 30 years old would have gone, no, you can't do this. Oh, you're changing this and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Bo Smith at 60 at that time stopped and said, you know what? This is what they do. I have had this book 20 years. I've got a core audience of males 15 to 55 that read it, but it doesn't go any further. It plateaus. It, it, this mm-hmm. is what it sells. This is what it goes. I said, I'm going to look at this. And this is what they do. This is what they know is going on. This is their business. So I made two minor changes. That's all. And I mean, they were minor. And that was it. And I said, I'm going to let them do what they do best. And if it works, great. If it doesn't. So Ted calls me back the next day and says, they're ready to go. We got a deal. Well, I was, I was stunned. You know, I really <laughs> was because it's failed to go f- fruition twice. And so they, and let me tell you, Alex, Emily Anders, the showrunner and writer of the wine owner television show on sci-fi saw everything that I created. And then she layered it from there and layered it well. She put icing on my cake that she got it to where not only was my audience males 15 to 55, all of a sudden when this show comes out and gets hooked in in that first season, I go from the titan of testosterone to the emperor of estrogen because now I have women audience 15 to 55 combined with my already male dominated and it was Alex it was wonderful it's a dream come true to happen at 60 years old to be in this business at that point 30 30 years and to have Mm -hmm. that happen is highly unusual I was I was blessed and here's the thing contractually all they had to do was send me a check and put me on the set for a week once a year that that's really all they had to do. Spell my name right in the credits. Yeah, well, that's nice. Yeah. Emily Andrus and the whole cast and crew were beyond gracious. I was involved with everything. I mean, things that I, I mean, every audition tape was sent to me. Dailies were, you know, every morning I'd wake up, there'd be what they shot yesterday. Bo, what'd you think of this? What'd you think of that? Whether they did changes or not, but they included so much from the comic book more, but most of all, they included me. And they would always turn to me and go, well, you created this. Without you doing that, we wouldn't have this. It was just, I I was blessed because that's not usually what happens. No, you're right. And and I think of two people who've said something similar in the past two, three years. 
one of them being Tony Isabella, uh, with regard to the Black Lightning TV series, he felt that the cast and crew treated him very well uh, when he was out there, and even got to, to to do a little cameo on 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 one of the episodes. Same uh, here, I got to do that. Yep, there you go. And then there's Don McGregor uh, with yes. the Black Panther movie. He felt that you know Ryan Coogler and the cast treated him so respectfully and he was so happy with all of that and all of them and how the film turned out um so yeah it is a blessing because yes it does tend to go in the opposite direction more <laughs> often than not it, it um, did in the past let's put it that way yeah. up until those it that was usually the way that it seemed to happen yeah. and like i said with with tony and don and, and then myself that was the beginning of a change which I hope continues from from here on out for comic book creators if their properties become feature films or television or or whatever. Now I know people are gonna you know they're probably thinking this, so I need to ask. I mean, I'm sure. hearing how satisfied you were satisfied you were with with a lot of what they were doing. Did it? How did it feel sitting back and watching? other people ride with your stallion you know yeah what was that like for you you know to, to hear other other people setting up the words and, and all of that I, I i refer back to the 12 year old self my head would have exploded because i got to see characters that i created say the words i'm wine on earth showing that badge uh bobo del rey talking about how he's going to destroy everything that kind of thing. i got to see that and that was such a thrill and as far as again what we talked about with the, the layers that emily and the the actors put on the stuff again this is their playground this is what they know best and i was great with that because it enhanced it i was doing the comic book at the same time with we were just using each other's characters the whole thing but we never rehashed so it was you as a wine owner herb fan new or old you got new things all the way around mm. all those predominant women that were now watching the TV show. were now picking up the comic book and you know what they always say, you never forget your first. And I was thrilled that Winona Earp got to be the first comic book. So many of them got to read. Mm. I got to set the bar, the standard and represent comic books as best as I could with my own character. And I have had nothing but respect from all the erpers that's what they call themselves Herpers. all the erpers they are just so wonderful so respectful so gracious when i go to conventions and and signings they're they're like another family that i've i've never had and i don't have to pay for their food you know <laughs> it, it it's worked out wonderfully i've met so many nice people i you know in the old days when comic books were a little gossipy and this, that, and the other, and maybe they still are with the internet and stuff, but I got to be honest with you, Alex, I don't think I have any bad stories. I mean, I really don't have, and I am just so fortunate because of that. And uh, it's just a neat thing. No, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. I, you know, it's funny. There, there are obviously negative experiences that people can have within any industry. And, and you're going to run into, even like we were talking about Guy Gardner, you're going to run into bullies sometimes. You're going to run into some unpleasantries. Yeah. But there are also the, there's also the other side of the coin. And maybe we don't get to talk about that as much. And so it's nice to hear the positive. I, you know, we had, um, Chris and I had Michael Uslan uh, on the show at one point. And a lot of what he talked about, yeah, there were some challenges and struggles and things. But he also talked very, very... Um, uh, well about some of the, the the collaborations and the cooperation and the dynamics that he dealt with in in a positive way as well because that does happen also and it's nice to again yeah. be able to reflect on that um, for people who are still trying to make their way in the writing industry and again I know that you've written comics predominantly but you've also done journalism and those for people trying to make their, their way in the writing industry, can you share any part of your process? How do you approach creating a character? How do you approach maybe doing dialogue or setting up a plot? You know, can you share any parts of that? 
Um, I've got to say right off the bat that before I, when I was seriously wanting to, to write comics and really going to make it, I was, I gotta be honest with the, the back then, early eighties, the job I was in was dead in. Um, my, I was, my first marriage had broke up. I was not living with my son who was just three years old mm. because of that. And I'll never forget, Alex, I was sitting on the back tailgate of my pickup truck from my dead end job, knowing that, you know, it wasn't going to go any further. And I was 30 years old, roughly then. I knew I had, you know, you've always wanted to do comics. That was the motivation. You hit rock bottom, as they say. And I said, you got to try to do this for real. And I, I, I started doing it by the letter writing. How can I? I was doing my own marketing and I was the product. How can I get this done? But at the same time, so I started not only writing letters, but I wrote to Walt Simonson, Mike Barron, Robert Kaniger, Murray Boltonoff, who Murray was an editor at DC forever. Robert Kaniger, you know, invented Sergeant Rock, uh, did all the, uh, Mike right Barron it. of Nexus and the Badger, Walt Simonson, you know, just, you know. It does what, everything. Again, <laughs> yeah, the nicest guy in the world, one of the yeah. great stars, but and Tim Truman, but guys like that, out of the clear blue, they didn't know me from Adam. I, I would write and say, "What's a plot look like? What's a comic book plot look like? What's what? What does a script look like?" They didn't have to do any of this. They didn't know me. They sent me scripts. They sent me plots. Hey, this worked for me. They didn't have to do that. They didn't know who I was, and that right off the bat was. Again, someone being gracious and then he didn't have to. A kindness, that, again, what we talked about, all these people from different paths meeting each other through comics, the love of comics. So that was a big help. And, and <laughs> I, I kind of makes me laugh, but you ask what my approach is. I've probably got well over 100 notebooks I always have always written 100 little leather notebooks that I always write in I write down ideas I write a piece of dialogue comes into my head I don't know where I'm going to put it what I'm going to do with it but I've, I've got over a hundred of these I've got little outlines not structural just bow outlines which is stream of thought stuff mm -hmm. and that's where a lot of it comes to sometimes I'll hear a lyric in a song just one lyric I think man, that could be a good story. And I start building a story around a couple of words that I heard or conglomerate of people that I've known. They just come and I do not do structured outlines per se, unless a publisher would ask for them. And then I, I do them. But when I sit down at the keyboard, that's when it starts. I, there's no first draft, second draft, unless <laughs> someone asks for it. And I hate to sound it sounds so unprofessional, but I make it up as I go. And Mark Wade and I were on a panel one time. He goes, you what? Because <laughs> Mark is very structural. Very. Yep, yep. You know, I know Mark. Yeah. Cross the T's, dots the I's. I said, it's what works for me. He goes, well, that's what works for you. And that's good. But, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not too much. And because I carry those thoughts around in my head and in those notebooks, when I'm ready to sit down, it goes and you're a panther. Uh, oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. And yeah. I have my goal. If it's a character I created or one that's worked for hire, what do I want to do with that character? And I've usually have that in my mind. Even as a kid, when I watched television, read comics, I read them for enjoyment. I saw it for enjoyment, but part of me went, now if I were in charge, I'd do this with this, this, I was always adding to and rewriting not because I thought it was bad, just because I couldn't help myself. Mm -hmm. It's just what I, I remember when the showcase 66 was Boana Beast. The first time he, that was the most craziest thing ever. That character was, I mean, even as a sixth grade kid, I said, this is nutty. This really doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> but I loved it because it was so wild, zany, wacky. It wasn't what Marvel was doing. This wasn't, but in my head, I was going, I do this, and this, and this. That's yeah, and kinda... and and that's the kid. That's the kid because children, yeah. children, 
un unless the the environment they're in is constructed that way, most kids don't have a, a barbed wire fence around their imagination. They they can do what if better than anything, <laughs> than anything. What if? And and then you could and you just they just take off. You got to get out of their way, you know. Uh, and and that's that's a that's a superpower. That is definitely a superpower. So I'm I'm glad to see it's still in you. <laughs> oh, if anything, it's raging more than it ever did. Well, you see what happens is we get older. You know, we sort of regress in a way. So we're just coming back around to it. Oh, and, and, and you know, I guess when you look at life, that's a sweet thing, bud. You yeah. know, the yeah. way you come into the world and the way you go out, you know, the only part that uh, I'd probably have not looking forward to is it come in with wearing diapers, you go out with wearing diapers. Yeah, I'm not yeah, looking I, forward to that. But yeah, you know. yeah. I can I can think of a few family members that feel the same way. Yep, yeah. nope, nope. A lot cuter to change him when he was small, <laughs> you know. Right? Yeah. Um, oh, I, 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 I wanna I, I don't I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I, I do want to uh, get a sense of what what's on the horizon for you or what are you working on now that that you want to share or can share with us. Well, I can share that, um, yes, Winona Earp ran four seasons on sci-fi, and the fourth season was the last, but, you know, with all the streaming and all the, the different television networks, things like that, they are still looking for a new home for it. So that may, may not happen. I've had weirder things happen. So that's that's always in the, a possibility of happening. So there, the agents, representatives, the production people, that's what they do. And again, you need my help. I'm here, but you know, that's, that's what you do best. Yeah. So they are doing that. Uh, why don't will continue to be published, you know, when and whatever I want to do and whoever wants to do it, which is IDW right now. Um, so that's going on. Currently I am writing four different books that will be coming out two from Clover Press, one from Moonstone Books. My good friend Joe over there is doing it. And another one that I can't really talk too much about just yet. And another, I've got two stories coming out from Graham Nolan's uh, uh, Two-Fisted Manly, Giant-Sized Manly Tales, uh, in a crowdfunding book that he's doing. Now, here's the thing. One of the books is called Stopwatch. I'm doing it at Clover Press, which is Ted Adams and Robbie Robbins, who were co-founders of uh, IDW. Mm -hmm. That I've co-created and co-writing with Melanie Scrofano, who was Winona Earp in the television series. Oh, nice. So we started writing some of the Winona, stuff, Earp, uh, Winona Earp stuff together while we were doing the publishing of uh, a couple for, of the graphic novels. For the novels. comics or for the Yes, for the comics. For the, for the comics. comics. Okay. And it was her first comic book writing stuff. She was just, you talk about the diapers, the stuff when her parts for the script would come in, I wish I was wearing because she is so humorous, not slapstick stuff, but the humor that we do every day. Great lines, great dialogue. She's so good at that. So we hit it off in that. We're doing a new book called Stopwatch for Clover Press. Tim Rosan, who was Doc Holliday on the TV series. Tim is a longtime comics fan all of his life, just like you and I. Mm -hmm. So he and I also co-wrote some of the Wine on Earth books while the TV series was going on and we were doing it and we hit it off. He's like the younger, good looking brother. I never had instead of the two <laughs> ugly ones that I've got. Um, Ooh. But Ooh. It's all right. okay. They're used to it. Trust me. They're younger brothers. They have to take it. Okay. All right. Yes. But, Honor the old. Yes. Okay. Yes. hundred percent. But, but he and I have the, we did two stories for Graham Nolan's book. We're doing a five issue miniseries for Moonstone and we're also doing a couple others, which hit all genres, too. So that has been wonderful for me to be able to, I don't mean it this way, but to teach someone else how to write the craft of comics, which is mm -hmm. different from screenplay prose, as you know better than anybody, uh, has been wonderful because I've got to see both of them flourish and they are really good at this. And at the same time, and I don't mean this in an egotistical way. It gives me a legacy of you you did something good for somebody else and they're going to be really good at this. So 
long after I'm gone, that style of comics is, is going to continue. That style of writing, and they understand, you know, the craft of words and pictures, and that is very rewarding within itself. You know, it's it's funny because you you um, you sort of sort of pulled back on it for fear of it being an egotistical statement. But one of the, the best legacies we can leave is that we helped others to achieve their goals. That's, that's okay, you know, and, and I've been blessed to have lived long enough to have seen people that I met when they were kids and I was a mentor to them in some scenario reach adulthood, have children of their own and come back into my life to tell me of the impact. So, oh. you know, for me, and I think for people like you, it's, it's okay. It's a good thing for us to be able to look back and say, yeah, because obviously people were there for us. Yes. And we're just, we're just paying it forward. You know, that's just really all it is. And that's a great legacy to be a part of. Oh, I, I, again, thankfully, again, I mentioned, Walt, Mike, Baron, Tim Truman, all those guys that uh, Robert Kaniger, I mean, who was, you know, a comic book king to me, uh, for them to do that and not have to, I guess, yeah, I, I wanted to be a little like that if yeah. I could, you know, but I've never looked at myself as being on that level. Yeah, yeah well, that's, that's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't looked at yourself that way. Others have. Um, I was just going to say that, you know, we, we, we've lost a couple of giants. Uh, recently with, with Neil Adams and with George Perez. And I've, I've, I was fortunate enough to, to know both of them, Neil more than George, but every time I saw George, he was such a gentleman. He was such oh. a giving, giving soul, such a, you know, a pleasure to watch him with others, you know, whether they were newbies or, or, or amateurs or other professionals, he was always just gracious and giving and sharing. And Neil who could be a little cantankerous in his own way, <laughs> you know, and from like day one when I was a teenager and he was a, you know, an adult in the business. But at the same time, it was almost like he was saying, don't waste my time. But if you're not wasting my time, I'm here. Yeah. A and for the people that, that he connected to on that level, uh, we will always be thankful for. Definitely. We'll always be thankful for him. So I would say, you know, Bo, this is great. Please. Come back when Chris is here, because I know <laughs> he wanted to meet you. He, you know, and he wanted to have a chance to talk with you and everything. And he's out, as I said, folks, Chris is out at StokerCon yeah. doing his thing. So, you know, please come back. You know, we'll check in with you or just to shoot the breeze. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, catch I'm up. Good. That'd, that'd be great. But thank you so much for being on the episode. And everybody, uh, please, you know, if you have any questions or anything for Bo, put them in the comments. Uh, I will make sure he gets them. Uh, anything over a thousand, I'm sorry, I'll have to hold back on. <laughs> but I'll make sure he gets them, and I'm, I, you know, I'll try and get answers for you. So, okay, thank you everybody for being here, and uh, until next time. Thank you, Alex. Thank you.